So the year was 2004, and Blockbuster Video was at its peak. Worldwide, it employed 84,300 people. It had a total of 9,094 stores worldwide. Now, I mean, maybe you remember Blockbuster. Maybe you're actually too young to even know what Blockbuster is, which is kind of crazy. But there was a time, and maybe you remember this, if you wanted to watch a movie in the comfort of your home, you actually had to leave your house to be able to do it. You, would, you didn't just like press a button, oh, here's a bunch of movies. You had to get in your car, you had to drive to the video store, Blockbuster usually, and you would go in, and the walls were lined with v- VHS or DVD, Blu-ray. But then you, as, as, as family or friends, you had to fight until you had a consensus on what video you guys wanted to watch. And so you'd go to the cash, you'd lay down that membership card, and you'd pay close to $10 just to have that movie for a few days. And so you'd go home, put that into the player, and you'd watch your movie. But you had to commit to getting that movie done. You couldn't start the movie and, and like come back to it a month later. You had to get it done before a deadline, because if you didn't, there was going to be the late fee, which usually consisted of your firstborn child or an arm or a leg. They'd take it all, but it, it was pretty, pretty expensive. And so watching a movie, that was a totally different experience back then if you're going to do it at home. Totally different than today, but people loved movies, and so Blockbuster was making big money off of it. Now, in the year 2000, a man named Reed Hastings He approached the former CEO of Blockbuster, John Antioso, about buying his relatively new company, Netflix, for the price of $50 million. Now, Netflix is not what it is today, or was not what it is today back then, because you would go onto the internet, you would select the movie you wanted to rent, you'd you'd say, this is the one, and, and Netflix would snail mail that to you, the DVD. You'd watch it, and then you'd return it through the mail back to them. And so it was different, but Antioso, the the CEO of Blockbuster, he said, that's a very small niche business. It won't ever succeed. And so he he turned them down. He said, "We we don't want that. Now, Netflix is different today. It's an online streaming company, totally different than when it started. But today it is worth $10 billion dollars. When was the last time you went to a Blockbuster? <laughs> I mean, like you would have had to have been in Alaska last year to be able to do that because it closed down their last store in North America in 2017. And, and I, I say this because this is a classic example of don't forget your purpose. It is important to ask why you do what you do before you do what you do. Had Blockbuster asked that question, It could have changed things because Blockbuster, I think they were confused in their purpose. I think they thought their purpose was for people to rent DVDs, VHS, and Blu-ray from them. We're like, of course it is. They're a video rental store. But had they realized that was not their primary purpose to have people come to them, but their primary purpose was to enable people to watch movies in the comfort of their own home as easily as possible, Blockbuster could actually be a $10 billion business today. But Netflix knew their purpose, and that's why Netflix is what it is today. And so why is such an important question? Asking why, it it causes us to examine our purpose. Now, have you ever asked why the church? Why does the church exist? What is its purpose? I think in a day and age um, where the only time churches make the media is if there's some sort of outrage or there's a financial or um, 
sexual or abuse scandal. That's, that's when the church makes the media. And so a lot of people in culture look at the church and go, why? Like, what is the church's purpose? What is the point of it? So I want to ask, do we know our purpose? Do we know our why before we do whatever it is we think we are to do? Now, I honestly believe if, if we were to sit down like one-on-one, every Christian um, that calls HCC home, and I was to go, what is the purpose of the church? I honestly believe we would get this answer. It, it is to make disciples, something like that. You might even reference Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 to me, and it's the Great Commission. And there Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I think most of us, again, we we agree on the purpose of the church to make disciples. We're big on the Great Commission here. We could stop here, pat ourselves on the back, high five, we're all on the same page. Let's go make disciples and, and kind of get on with it. But I think that might be premature when I was a kid, my family and I, we would always like go to my grandparents for dinner. And uh, my grandmother was a really good cook, like country woman, uh, lived on a farm, always cooking big meals. And so it was always good to go to my grandmother's house for dinner. But this one time she's serving us, we're, we're seated at the table, she's going around serving us, and she puts something on our plates that we'd never seen before, nothing like it ever before. And so my brother was brave enough or dumb enough to, to go like, what is this? And my grandmother goes, it's pizza. That thing did not look like pizza at all. Like in no way, shape or form, not even one of those fancy pizzas. It, it, the closest it got was that it had some, something doughy to it. And, and she's convinced she's serving, kids love pizza, here's pizza. That was not pizza. Now we ate it anyways because our dad was at the other end of the table shooting us looks going, you better eat that whatever it is, if you want it to go well for you later on. And so we ate it. But here's my point in this. We can all agree that our, our, our purpose is to make disciples. We can all agree on that. But just as important is, do we all agree on what a disciple is? And I think a lot of the time we quote the Great Commission, but we all assume we agree what a disciple is. But if we were to go around this room again, one-on-one, I think we'd get some different ideas I think we'd get some different answers as to what a disciple is. Kind of like how my grandmother had a totally different idea of what pizza was from every other living person. Um, We can have different ideas of what a disciple is. And this is important because what you think a disciple is, that's going to determine how you attempt to make a disciple. But when Jesus commands his disciples in Matthew 28 to make disciples, he has a very clear idea of what he wants his disciples to be. His disciples who are getting the commission, they understand what a disciple is because Jesus had had done it to them. He had modeled what a disciple was for them. They had experienced it. But but here, 2,000 years later, do we understand what Jesus meant when he said, make disciples? And our understanding of what a disciple is is going to be limited to what we've experienced as a disciple Another way of saying is you don't know what you have not experienced. Now think of it this way. Imagine we're talking about the CN Tower, four different people. And the first person goes, "Ah, I've never been to the CN Tower, but I've seen it from a distance. It's tall, it's skinny, it's above all the other buildings. It it lights up at night pretty. um, and, And there's this weird pod thing at the top. 
And the second person goes, yeah, but I've been outside the CN Tower at the base, and it's right next to the Rogers Center, and there's the Ripley's Aquarium, and and you have to go through security to be able to go into the building, and so I just never um, went up. Now, a third person goes, I actually went through the security. I paid the money. I went up in one of the six elevators. I got up there. There was a restaurant. You can see for miles such a great view, and there's even this glass floor that you can step out on. It's pretty trippy when you look down at the ground. Now, a fourth person goes, yeah, that's all true, but I paid some extra money, and I went up onto the roof of that pod thing, and it's called the the edge walk, and I was tethered onto the top of the building. You can walk all the way around, and if you're brave enough, you can hang over the edge hundreds of feet above um, the city of Toronto. Now, all four people talking about the exact same thing, but their knowledge of it is, is kind of based on what they've experienced, all differing degrees. And in the same way, we can all be talking about discipleship, but we're going to have differing degrees of understanding based on what we've experienced. Now, when I was growing up, when we talked about the Great Commission, the big emphasis was on evangelism, kind of this idea, make converts. And so convince somebody to change their mind by presenting probably superior arguments that Christianity is superior. Get them to switch from a different religion or worldview to the Christian faith. And so conversions was the main emphasis. Like, okay, you, you've, you've gotten that person to confess faith. They've been baptized, mission accomplished. You fulfilled the Great Commission. That was kind of, kind of the thinking. But Jesus, he, he doesn't say go and make converts of all nations. He, he was specific when he said go and make disciples. And, and convert, disciple, not synonymous. You can't interchange them. There's a huge difference between the two. Converts follow doctrines and denominations. Disciples follow the life and teachings of Jesus. Converts attend the church. Disciples understand they are the church. Converts, they're filled with knowledge. They're filled with information. Disciples, they're filled with devotion and love. Converts don't think Christianity comes with costs. Disciples believe Christianity costs everything. Conversions, they're easy to measure. Numbers you can count. Discipleship, very hard to measure, really hard to gauge. Conversion is a moment. Discipleship is a lifestyle. Now understand, the only time Jesus uses the word convert in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. And he's kind of laying this like holy, verbal beatdown on some prideful Pharisees. He's not using the word kind of in this good context. And so Jesus used the word disciple for a reason. The mission is to make disciples. But unfortunately, when churches don't understand what Jesus meant by um, disciple or they think convert is the same as disciple, problems begin to ensue. And and I'm I'm saying we're not immune to this either. But in many ways, the cost of being a disciple has been watered down to this. Attend church, give financially, serve a bit, and be a a pretty good person. But the, the scary thing is statistics would say that most Christians find the first two to be ridiculously hard. Like that is too high a cost to be a disciple. And so my my question is, what would Jesus think of our understanding of what it means to be a disciple? Do we get it? Do we understand it? Now, I want to ask you this question. Is discipleship a byproduct of the church, 
or is the church a byproduct of discipleship? And I think a lot of people think that discipleship is a byproduct of the church, that where the church exists, there will be discipling, which is kind of true, but they kind of think of discipling as just kind of this ministry. You should have a discipleship ministry, just like you have a children's ministry, a youth ministry, a worship ministry, a life groups ministry, on and on. That discipleship is kind of this, this ministry on its own you could have as a tag onto the church, but actually discipleship is everything in the church. Jesus, he, he discipled his disciples before the church began. He discipled them so that they could lead the church when it began. And so the church is actually a byproduct of discipleship. And this is important because the, this, this is what it means. The type of disciples we make as a church will determine what this church is going to look like in the future. It will determine the, the, the leaders we have for different ministries. It will determine the teachers that we have in different ministries. Discipleship will determine almost everything for the future of this church. And so this is why we're doing this Follow Me series. Because over the next nine weeks, we want to better understand what Jesus said when he, when he said, or understand what Jesus meant when he said, make disciples. And we need to understand what he meant for his disciples to be in order for Halifax Christian Church to be the church that Jesus wants it to be. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, if you've got your Bible, turn to verse 17. And it starts with this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Change your hearts and lives, because the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, They were throwing a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. So Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. Now at this point, Peter and Andrew, they're they're familiar with Jesus and his teachings, but they're not following him full time. They're actually fishing full time for a living, not for fun, but this is how they make their livelihood. Now Jesus comes along and he, he invites them, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. And so this is a call to leave their ordinary lives and accompany him full time. And they believe that Jesus is worthy, and so they do this. And Matthew 4.19, this is where we get our understanding. This is where we get our definition for what a disciple is. And I, I get it. The first time I looked at this, I was like, I don't see a definition for anything in there. But it's there. Jesus begins by saying, follow me. Um, a requirement for being Jesus' disciple is that we have accepted him as our Savior, that our sin has been forgiven. And we, we love the idea of Jesus as Savior, don't we? Like, our, our sins are forgiven. I, I'm, I'm reconciled to God. I will be with him in heaven for eternity. It's much better than the alternative. And so we love that. But when we accept Jesus, it means we, we believe and acknowledge who he is in his entirety. And Scripture says he, he is Lord and Savior. And many people have been sold salvation on this idea that if you Accept Jesus. God's going to fulfill all your hopes, all your dreams, all your wishes, your plans. That God's going to be there to serve you. But when Jesus invites his disciples, he says, follow me. He doesn't say, you know what? Uh, You're going to be an equal partner in this. You'll be called my associate. He doesn't say when decisions have to be made, you know what? You're going to get a vote in every situation. He, He doesn't make it a democracy. You never see Jesus begging people to follow him. You never once see Jesus make a compromise on his mission to get people on board. 
he, he would actually tell people to count the cost, and if they couldn't count the cost, Jesus would turn them away, send them home. Jesus leads and we follow, and so Jesus, his job's not to get on board with our agenda and kind of fulfill what we want. And so following Jesus means we're positioned behind him. Following Jesus means we recognize and accept Jesus on his terms. We, we place ourselves under his authority. Now, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 it's one of those verses um, that's a little uncomfortable to read because Jesus says this, if people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want. They must be willing even to give up their lives to follow me. And so Jesus has a high call. It's like, you, you need to love me more than your, your family, your friends, your positions, your own life. That is the call that Jesus puts. And so think about this. When the crowds that would follow Jesus would get too big, Jesus would say some weird things. He, he would go, if you do not eat my flesh, if you do not drink my blood, you have no eternal life in you. You don't have eternal life in you. And I imagine his disciples are going, no, don't say that because you're hurting the numbers. You're shrinking this movement. And people would hear that and go, that is weird. I'm out. I'm gone. But Jesus would say this intentionally because he, he was thinning out the fans and the followers. Jesus didn't want people who were, were just fans of the things he could do, the, fa- like the things that he could give them. He wanted devoted followers. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying we must accept his authority at the head level. We must believe his word is truth. And so a disciple knows and follows Jesus as the authority of their life. But, but being a disciple, it's not simply agreeing that certain things are true, that Jesus knows best. When Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to be his disciples, he, he doesn't call them because they're the complete package, that they're, they're kind of like they've got it all together. Like Peter certainly doesn't. Peter ha- has outbursts. Peter says the wrong thing. Peter gets rebuked by Jesus and called Satan. Peter, he, he whips out his sword and he, he chops a guy's ear off. We're not sure if it was a warning shot or he's just got bad aim or whatever. But Peter had a lot of work to be done on him. And the fact that these two brothers are still fishing full-time, it shows, you know what, other rabbis probably passed over them as, as disciples because they didn't see a lot of potential in them. But Jesus comes to them and he says, follow me and I will make you. And so Jesus, he doesn't choose us for our godly traits. He, he doesn't look at us and go, you know what, man, that is, a, that is one righteous guy. He's, he's got it all together. He's perfect. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. Like, he, he knows we're struggling. He knows we got flaws. He knows we're not perfect. And he doesn't invite us to be his disciple because of how um, impressive we are. He invites us to be his follower because he loves us. And so please understand, you do not have to have your life totally together. It doesn't have to be, like, perfect to be a follower of Jesus. And the church should be a safe place, a place where it's okay not to be okay. But we don't encourage people to stay that way. Jesus never once looked at a potential follower, one of his disciples, and goes like, man, you are, you're awesome. Like, I love you. You're, you're perfect. Don't ever change a thing. He, w- he would look at people. The message kind of this, like, I love you. God is good. You are not. You've got sin in your life, but let's fix that. Let's, let's change that. And so God wants to see transformation in your life. 
when Jesus says, I will make you, he's saying, I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you something new at the heart level. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24. Paul, he says this, You are taught to leave your old self, to stop living the evil way you lived before. That old self becomes worse because people are fooled by the evil things they want to do. But you were taught to be made new in your hearts, to become a new person. That new person is to be made to be like God, made to be truly good and holy. And so when we, when we accept Christ, we are justified. That God sees us as he sees Christ, holy, blameless, perfect. But in our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions, we are far from that. There's work to be done. And so that's the process of sanctification, that, that, that God is making you more holy. He's shaping you to become like Jesus through his word, um, through, through his spirit, and through his people. It's, it's ongoing. You, you never arrive at perfection in this life until Christ arrives or you die and you go to be with him. But to be a disciple means you, that what you know is moving to your heart. It's causing change in your character so that you become more like Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to the, to the world. And Jesus knows that if we truly reflect who he is to, to the world, that others would come to him. But unfortunately, we're, we're living in this day and age where people, in the name of Christianity, are, are acting towards people in ways that are, are totally... Um, not Christ-like, and it's turning people away from Christ. And, and that's what kind of happens when what we believe does not move to our heart. And so becoming like Jesus is the goal of discipleship. And so Jesus wants to teach and empower you to be like himself. He's going to address your beliefs, your attitudes, and your behavior to shape you into his image so that you can bring the good news of salvation to the world. When, we, when our heart is being changed to become like Jesus' heart, we start to care about the things that Jesus cares about. Now, what did, what did Jesus care about the absolute most? Does he show up and, and go, I've got some more rules for you guys because you weren't doing very well with these ones? Does he go, like, I, re- I want you to be a really good rule follower? Does he show up and go, you know what? I want to make your life uh, easier here on this earth. I, I don't want you to struggle I'm going to make sure you're, you're always happy, you're financially stable, all these things. Like, he doesn't come promising any of that. Jesus comes with this mission. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And what Jesus wanted most, what Jesus cared about the most, was people. And if we believe that, that Jesus is our authority, if Jesus is changing our heart, that's going to lead to a change of what we do with our hands. It's going to affect our actions. Now, the main criticism Jesus' enemies would make against him was this. He, he, he eats with, with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Thus, he must be one of them. He can't be holy and righteous. But Jesus in those times would say, no, I've, I've come to seek and save the lost. It's the, the sick that need the doctor, not the healthy but Jesus would make this criticism against the, those, those prideful religious people who would say, you know God's word really well. And, and you, you do a good job at uh, living that out in front of people, but you're missing the heart of God's word. You, you don't really love God. 
you, you don't really love other people. You love yourself most. That, that is the thing you're concerned about the most. And too often today, the gospel or, or being a disciple is, is treated simply as a self-improvement plan, a way for you to become a better version of yourself. But, but Jesus doesn't call you and he doesn't change you so that you can be a better person, simply so that you can be a better version of your old self. He, he calls you, he commissions you, he changes you so that you can call, you can help change, and you can help commission other people for his mission. And so, Jesus' commission to make disciples and teach them everything that he has commanded us, it means that being a disciple is not relegated to your own personal walk with God. You are called to help other people in their walk with God. Being a disciple means you disciple others, and there's no exemptions. And so we give our hands in service. We give our gifts. We give our abilities. We give our skills. They're all there and empowered for his mission to save the world. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you fish for people. A disciple, and it's on the back wall, but a disciple is someone who is following Christ, is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. It involves your head. It involves your heart. It involves your hands. And so if you're going to memorize one verse this fall, we want it to be Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It is 11 words. You can do this. Like, I believe that you can do this. And so as Christians, this is what we're called to do, that Jesus, Jesus commands, but he also promises to make you into a disciple-making disciple in, those verse, in that verse. And so we have silicone wristbands there, they're packaged nice and neat individually that are available with that verse on it to, to just kind of stay before you and be a reminder that Jesus is calling you to follow him, to be changed by him, but to commit to his mission. And you can pick one of these up at the Welcome Center on your way out. They're all black, all the same color, very stylish and chic. People will see you wearing this and be like, where did you get that fantastic silicone wristband? You can say, well, this great church called Halifax Christian Church, and you just invite them to come with you. But we want to encourage you to take one of those and keep that verse in front of you as a reminder of what you are called to do as a disciple. But over the next nine weeks, we're going to examine different topics as, as, we, as we follow our goal, as we attempt to become disciples who make disciples. We're going to share resources. We're going to... Um, just provide questions. If you're in a life group, we're going to take this discussion further. Um, and there's the plug. If you're not in a life group, you should get in one because they're starting this week and we're going we're gonna to talk more about this. But, but Jesus invited Peter and Andrew to step out of their ordinary, to step out of their comfort zone of fishing into a mission to seek and save the lost. And Jesus is calling you as his disciple to do the same, to step out of those things. And so you need to ask and answer this question. Am I going to be a passive spectator in this thing? Or will I be an active participant in the mission of God? Am I going to ignore Jesus' command and sit in the stands? Or am I going to get on the field and play? The discipleship is about leading others to increasingly submit all of their life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus. And if we get this, 
if we, if we start to do this, it will change our church. And you can understand by what I'm saying, we have a lot and way to go in this. We can get better at this. And so I honestly believe that discipleship is the answer to almost every challenge the church faces. So we want to be a community that's developing disciples who follow Jesus, are changed by Jesus, and joining him on mission. And I understand this is where the, de- the doubt creeps in. You go, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not enough of fill in the blank to do what Jesus is asking me to do. But please understand, no Christian was ever intended to be sidelined in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus never intended this mission to be limited solely to the most effective, brilliant, talented people. You never see Jesus saying to his disciples, okay, there's only some of you who are going to do this. I don't want you guys trying this at home because you're just not good enough. If you try this at home, you might, you might mess somebody up. You might scar them for life. So, so don't do it. No, Jesus calls every person, every disciple to this mission. And so you have the word of God before you. You have the spirit of God in you and the command of Christ to you, make disciples. Jesus ends the Great Commission by saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. And my question is this, what more could you want? What more could you need in this mission? Like, you can do this. And I I get it. There's a lot that you might have to learn about discipleship. I've got a lot that I can learn about discipleship. But, But here's the thing. You can teach people to reach the level you have reached. If you have gotten to that level, you know how to get to that level. Think of it this way. If you knew enough to decide to follow Christ, then you know enough to invite someone else to do the same. If you knew enough to decide to follow Christ, you know enough to invite someone to do the same. And the point is this. We disciple others in the things we know, the things that we have to learn. We get discipled by others, and then we pass it on to others. And this is what, this is what you were called to do. Like, parents, please understand you are called to be the primary disciple makers of your children, not, not, our, not our children's ministry. They're there to help and assist, but, but God puts that responsibility on you. In his book, The Radical Question, David Platt, he talks about the cost of real biblical discipleship, and he says the cost of discipleship is high. Jesus must come before anyone else, before any family member, any loved one. We must value following Christ more than life itself. We are called to commit to Christ above anything this world can offer. We are to die daily to our own self-interests. Being a disciple will require our time, our our talents, and our resources. The cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is higher. The cost of believers not taking Jesus' call seriously is immense for those who don't know Christ. It's devastating for a hurt and broken world. The cost of non-discipleship is deadly for those who do not know Christ, those who are lost. And the reality is this, that people who do not know Christ are lost for eternity unless they know Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm not making that up. It's It's scripture. These are people we know. These are people we love. And there are only two categories in the end. There's the saved and there's the unsaved. Just two. And so the cost of non-discipleship is much greater than the cost of discipleship. The church exists to make 
disciples. Jesus defined what a disciple was before he gave the church its mission to make disciples. And so the church is actually a byproduct of discipleship. And the question I want to leave you with is this. What type of church are we going to be?